We are reading from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 35. It includes Jesus' teaching on forgiveness and his teaching on how we deal with sin in the church. These two things going together. Listen to this reading of God's word. I'm reading from the New International Version. This is Jesus speaking. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that, quote, Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. End quote. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, Not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master had pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that very servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him. And began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Jesus concludes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
May God, through his Holy Spirit, give us the wisdom to understand and to appreciate and to apply these words. Amen. Well, for the message today, we continue in our journey through Lent on our path to Easter Sunday. And on this journey, we are focusing on forgiveness. Today, we ask the question, can we forgive the unforgivable? Can we, when we are victims of sinful actions, unjust actions, actions that are wrong and that may, in fact, hurt us, can we also offer forgiveness to those people? I want to start by highlighting the many amazing human stories there are that combine in a chorus of, yes, it is possible to forgive the unforgivable. Two of the most remarkable stories I know at the societal level come from the continent of Africa. One of the situations mentioned earlier in our worship service is one that comes to mind. The small African nation of Rwanda that suffered a horrific moment of genocidal evil in 1994. If your memory is fuzzy or if you're too young to remember that year, the movie Hotel Rwanda stands as a dramatic reminder of the terrible evil suffered by this nation in which more than a half a million people were killed not just by strangers, but by fellow citizens in a four-month period. Most of the victims were, who were killed were killed by those who were fellow residents of their villages and towns. And yet, a few years later, 50,000 perpetrators were released back into society, and the survivors were asked to forgive them and live with them again. And that is what largely happened. It's utterly remarkable. Another story is from South Africa. Some of you are familiar with the decades-long system of apartheid in South Africa, an unjust and, and racist system of separation. During the apartheid years, many crimes against humanity uh, were, were perpetrated. Uh, oftentimes by people in authority against people who had no power within the society, people of color. When apartheid was dismantled, the nation needed to come to terms with all of this evil that had happened. Would they just turn the tables and those who, who had been disenfranchised before without power would they now exert revenge on those who had been in power? Would it just be an eye for an eye? Well, following the spiritual guidance of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission set up a process of restorative justice, imagining that, that what happened to both victim and perpetrator mattered to a society that needed to learn how to live together in ways that they hadn't had much practice at. They focused on offering reparations to survivors. 
and amnesty to those who had perpetrated evil actions, but were willing to confess it publicly. This entire process would not have worked without forgiveness. But forgiveness happened, and the country was restored. What I find remarkable about both of these situations is that the Christian church in those places was a major influence on society during these times, reminding all the people who lived in their community what Jesus said in Matthew 19.26, and I'm paraphrasing here. If you rely only on human power and wisdom, it's impossible. But nothing is impossible with God. One of the most important teachings on forgiveness in the Bible is the brief but powerful exchange that we just read of in Matthew 18. This exchange between Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus on the topic of forgiveness. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Not seven, but 77. Jesus is inviting us to forgive people a whole lot more than we may be thinking we have the ability to do. We're going to take a look at this forgiving people 77 times. We're going to look at it in two different respects. The first way we'll look at it is this way. Practical wisdom for living with sinful human beings in community over time. 77 times is actually, you might wonder, you know, why did Jesus come up with that? Is it just a play on Peter's, uh, Peter's 7 that Jesus comes up with 77? Yes, I think we can see that. But also there's a connection to a revenge story in Genesis chapter 4, going way back to the, the first few chapters of the Bible, where, where a, a revenge note is shared, and it talks about reven- avenging an evil action seven times and going beyond that to 77 times. And what Jesus is subtly doing here, maybe it's not so subtle, is is turning that entire thing around, that now 77 times is not a a motto of revenge, but it's actually now a motto of forgiveness of those who might sin against us. Now here's the practical aspect, and I think you'll find a lot of ways that you can apply this in your daily life right now. If you're going to live with people in community, Over the long haul, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. Others will cross the line, and you will too. To live together in peace, we need to be prepared to forgive one another when the occasion arises, without setting a limit, because it will happen time and time again. Think about marriage. You know, I've been thinking a lot about marriage lately, not only because my wife and I have spent a lot more time uh, stepping on each other's toes around the house uh, during this time of extreme social distancing, 
But I'm also in touch with quite a few engaged couples right now. And uh, I'm working with them even while their wedding plans are now up in the air because of what uh, our society is dealing with with the COVID-19 crisis. And I would encourage you to keep those people, uh, those engaged couples, in your prayers. Think about what it would have been like for you in, in planning for your wedding if you are married or have had the experience of going through that uh, where you don't even know if the wedding will be legal uh, uh, to have uh, guests there. Uh, will the v- wedding venue cancel on you? What will go? Uh, will you get your deposit back? All of those things are, are a part of what these couples are, are thinking about. Uh, I'm counseling two couples uh, from this congregation who have wedding plans this summer. And uh, we are counseling via Zoom. And, and that's been actually working quite well. I'm also in the process of teaching a class of seniors at Northwest University. And in that class, there are four or five students who have wedding plans uh, that the plans were made to happen right after they graduated from college. And now a whole lot of things are up in the air. Each one of these young couples will do what so many couples before them have done. For those who are witnessing those vows, they will take the vow as long as we both shall live. That's a long time. There will be at least 77 opportunities to forgive that same person. More like 70 times 7 and well beyond. Those of us who are currently married know the truth of this. In any relationship, you never come to the end of the opportunity to offer forgiveness. And this is perhaps especially true during a time of close quarters quarantine. I, uh, I am one of those people who connects to Twitter. I don't tweet a whole lot, but I follow a number of my favorite professional athletes on Twitter. It's a way that I find out kind of what's going on in their lives. And uh, a a professional tennis player uh, and their significant other uh, who are in close quarantine with each other bantered back and forth in this lighthearted but very real uh, uh, dialogue right here. I'm going to read it for you. Can you identify? The first tweet said this. Can we social distance from our significant others yet? Asking for a friend. And that person's significant other uh, tweeted back, Calling 911, I'd like to report that I may or may not be plotting a murder. Hashtag quarantine day seven. Now that's lighthearted, mind you. Those are pretty strong words, but said in complete jest. In this environment, we are going to have to learn how to forgive over and over again. Rather than keeping track and seeing if you actually reach 77 times during this crisis, I think it's better to not keep track at all. But in looking back, I think that we will all see that we have forgiven our family members, spouses, brothers and sisters, uh, children. We will have forgiven them at least 77 times. Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant to remind us in this that our ability to forgive doesn't come just from us. It comes from God, an experience of forgiveness that we've already experienced in our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, for those of us in Christ, we've discovered the great joy 
of the gospel. And that is the joy that in Christ our sins are forgiven. And God has erased those, taken them away as a barrier between us and him. Yes, there are still consequences for our sin in our lives, but, but, but God has not allowed the consequences to keep us from close community with him. He draws us close and near. That kind of forgiveness is the kind of forgiveness that, that we've experienced from God. And in this parable, Jesus invites us to, to, sh- to share that same forgiveness that we receive from God with others. That, uh, that unmerciful servant had been given so much mercy and so much forgiveness. His debt had been forgiven, and what a debt it was. But for all the greatness of the forgiveness that he'd experienced, he wasn't prepared to share forgiveness with someone who needed it from him. And the parable, while it's a story, has a, a kind of a, a, a tough ending. It leaves us in suspense, kind of thinking, wow, that's a pretty powerful word that Jesus is speaking. And I think that reminds us that, that when it comes to forgiveness, it's serious business. It's serious business. God has a big stake in his forgiving of us, but also in our becoming people who forgive those who sin against us. Jesus is with us, empowering us, but also prodding us on when we come up with our limits of forgiving people only seven times. Jesus challenges us and moves us forward to 77 and beyond. Well, Let's take a look at 77 times from a different angle, and one that maybe gets a little bit closer to our focus today, and that is forgiving what seems unforgivable. For the phrase, not seven, but 77, that Jesus is speaking, is also heavy-duty wisdom for dealing with real-life sin and restoring broken relationships. What about the people and the actions that seem to us unforgivable or who are really, really hard to forgive? This requires a deeper look at Peter and Jesus' exchange on forgiveness, where we pay attention to the context of the entire chapter of Matthew 18. And intentionally, we read the previous section in our scripture reading. In verses 15 through 18, is Jesus' teaching on how to deal with sin in the human community, especially in responding to those who sin against us. And it's interesting to note here that the response when sinned against is not just to offer blanket forgiveness and move on, acting as if it didn't happen or people didn't get hurt in the process implying a free pass to continue to act in this way. Let's take a closer look at the process, knowing that at the end of this process, Peter asked, how many times must we offer forgiveness to those who have sinned against us in this pro- and, and have been addressed through this process? And Jesus says, well, a lot more times than you think. But as we do... Let's notice two gifts that Jesus is offering here. There's a gift for the victim of sin, 
and there's a gift for the one who is perpetrating the sin, the sinner. The first thing that we'll notice right from the beginning that is a gift for the victim is the gift of voice. The victim of sin has a voice. When they are sinned against, they have the opportunity to speak out and say what they feel and to speak the truth of that in relationship with others. So often in our human society, victims are silenced. Jesus cares about victims. And gives them a voice, a way that they can share with others, hey, what's happening to me is wrong. I need to be treated better. And what this voice, this gift of voice for the victim gives is actually a gift to the one who sins against them. And I'm going to call it the gift of a mirror. I'm inspired in this by the Christian author Walter Wongren who in the Lenten devotional that he wrote and that uh, Crystal and I are reading right now as we go through Lent, speaks of when others come to us and confront us about our sinful behavior and how it impacts them, that that actually is a gift. It's a gift of a mirror where we can see the truth of ourselves when we maybe say an insensitive word that hurts another's feelings, if they take that risk and give voice to that and share with us, hey, that hurt my feelings, now we know. Sometimes we're not aware. Maybe our minds are, are preoccupied with other things. Maybe our emotions were so, were so high that we had turned off our listening ears and we don't really realize that what we did really hurt another person by someone coming to us and sharing what we have done to them, gives us a mirror. And then it gives us the opportunity to repent of that sin. That is a gift. It's the gift of a mirror. I could go on and on. Uh, there are many of you. I've been uh, doing ministry here at North Creek for a couple of decades now. And... Uh, and for many of you who are watching this, you and I have experience where you may have uh, experienced me saying something in that vein of, of not really realizing what I have said. And, and you have, in faith and in love, have, have shared with me, have, have given me that mirror and said, Kurt, you crossed the line there. And that's given me the opportunity to be able to repent and to say, you know, I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. And that's what I want to point to right now is that at every point in the process, there are four steps in what Jesus is talking about here, and after every step is an opportunity for restorative justice and reconciliation, for, forgive, for, for repentance and forgiveness. Let's take a look. Verse 15, go to the person and share what they did and how it impacts you or others. In doing this, the victim has a voice. And repentance shared right here is met with forgiveness, not seven times, but like Jesus said, 77 times and perhaps beyond. Okay, so what happens if there isn't repentance at that level? Well, in verse 16, you go to the next stage. Take others with you. I think what Jesus is talking about here is to, to reinforce the seriousness of it. 
and to resolve it relationally, going beyond the, maybe the stuckness of that two-person relationship. Repentance that's offered here is also met with forgiveness. Not seven times, but 77 times. In verse 16, Jesus says, take others with you. Uh, no, uh, verse, we go on to 17. Uh, this is the third stage. Go to the church authorities. This is basically crying out. I think what's happening here is that the victim has recourse to justice. But even here, repentance at this stage is met with forgiveness. Not seven times, but 77 times. Now, the second part of verse 17 talks about the serious situation when in community something is is dealt with to this level and there is there isn't justice at that point. There is still no repentance. And certainly, even in the, at those times, we are never called to take away our love, our care, our treating of one another as people in the image of God. But certainly, forgiveness at this point is in difficult territory. But I would pose that even then, it is not impossible. A note about the importance of voice for victims in this process In both of the situations that I mentioned earlier in Africa, in Rwanda and South Africa in particular, they featured the importance of giving voice to the victims. They were given the opportunity to share their story of pain and suffering, being clear about about how they were treated and how they demand to be treated more humanely. Their forgiveness of others was not forced, but it emerged from a process of testimony where evil and sin were named, but revenge was not taken. So what if someone doesn't respond with contrition? Jesus is caring for the victim. And caring for the victim demands that others respond. But we're Ever there is a moment of repentance, forgiveness kicks in. It is there for the asking. And the proximity of these two sections in Matthew 18 shows us that it's possible to forgive others while also allowing God's work of redemptive justice in people's lives. You know, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, an abiding concern. We, we think of it over and over again. Can you forgive someone and also allow consequences. For instance, if there is a crime that is committed, can, can you forgive someone but also be okay with the justice system sending someone to jail, for instance, to, to, as a consequence for that crime? I'm going to take a, a little bit of a U-turn in responding to that and, and focus on something, uh, a situation in which we We operate in a place of of lower stakes, but we might do this on an everyday basis. Think about how we do this while we are raising children. We love our kids. And yes, we forgive them. Sometimes we do it unconsciously, just continuing to parent our kids and have a fresh start over and over again. Acts of disobedience uh, are are forgiven. We forgive them as we go about. But does this mean that we don't continue in discipline 
that, that, we, that we don't allow consequences for actions. We follow through on consequences because it's an important part of life. And there's also a teaching process that's going on here. Our kids are learning that, that there are consequences when we behave in that particular way. There are lessons to be learned about the truth of the world, that there are consequences for our actions, especially in how we treat other people. What I want to offer at this point as a conclusion to our sermon is, is a special time of meditation around a, a, a theme for those of us who have people in our lives who we are finding it hard to forgive. Most of us have to face this at some point in our lives, and some of us right now have that person in our life that we have not fully forgiven. I'm going to describe a scene, and here's the scene. It's a waiting room on the journey to freedom. Christian ethicist Lewis Smedes was famous in writing, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. Sometimes holding on to forgiveness is something that that holds us back and keeps us from the freedom, from bitterness that, that God wants to deliver us from. And yet at the same time, For those of us who maybe have been victimized and we're still struggling with the hurts, we're still bleeding from the hurt that was inflicted on us, even metaphorically, remember remember who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who has compassion on us. Jesus is the one in whose fellowship we have complete safety and love and care. Jesus is the last one who is going to, to ignore what is going on inside of us and demand that we forgive someone and move on. We think a lot about uh, uh, medical centers and hospitals these days and, and oftentimes when we go to the hospital we go or to a doctor's office we go to a waiting room. It's a time in which we, we are on our journey toward medical care and healing but we're not quite there yet. Sometimes a wait in a waiting room uh, happens only for about five minutes and we hear our name called and we go right in. Other times it seems like an eternity that we're waiting. For those of us who struggle to forgive someone, we might experience our journey with Jesus and forgiveness as a period of waiting. In this waiting room, picture it if you will, A waiting room where there's an entrance, a wide open entrance that you have entered in through. Maybe there's sliding doors like in a hospital emergency room entrance. And right now it's just you and Jesus there. Jesus meets you there and you pour out to him all of your hurt and your pain. And Jesus looks at you and says, child, I am here for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I love you with an everlasting love and nothing will ever separate you from my love. No matter what anyone has done to you, you are safe in my embrace.
And in that embrace, Jesus whispers your name and says, all will be well. You and I will be together on this and we will, it will take as long as it takes to bring healing to your life. What you notice as you look up from that embrace is that the, you came in through these large sliding doors, but you see in the other direction, you see one single door. And there's a word on that door. In your heart, you wish that that door said the word revenge. But it doesn't say that. It says forgiveness. And you ask Jesus, Jesus, what is that door for? And Jesus said, it is the path, that is the doorway to full healing. I will walk with you through that door. With me, child, the same love with which I love you, I love the one who hurt you. And I also want to bring healing to their lives. Full healing for all is down the path of forgiveness. It is through that door. But child, you and I, walk this journey together. It will be on my time. And I am patient. We will walk this road together. And someday, child, you will look back at this moment and you will see that, that your heart began to change in my presence. person who you thought was unforgivable. You found that, that what was impossible for you with me by your side was very much possible. And you find that knowing that and hearing those words from Jesus just allows you to settle into his love knowing that it's not really up to you you don't have to do it by your own human wisdom and power Jesus will enable it as you stay close to him and he leads you on for all of us the question comes can I forgive and it is met with these great words from the apostle Paul yes I can I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me amen